I'm Hemant Mehta. And I'm Jessica Blumke. And you're listening to the podcast for FriendlyAtheist.com. You can now listen to all of our episodes and see show notes at FriendlyAtheistPodcast.com. I am here with Linda Stevens, and Linda was one of the plaintiffs in the Greece versus Galloway case that was at the Supreme Court not too long ago. So we'll talk about what that case was all about very soon. But uh, Linda, why don't you introduce yourself? Uh, who are you, and uh, how should how do you describe yourself? Um, I am a retired librarian uh, who has lived in uh, Greece, New York, since 1970. And after my retirement, I got into uh, some social activism uh, things that I'd always been um, interested in all my life, really. Were you an activist when you were a librarian? Yes, I was. It got me in a little trouble sometimes, but yeah, I What did you do? Um, I was, my issue then was um, equality for women. And at that time... Uh, the people that were being promoted uh, were into the supervisory positions were always men. And uh, then there was another issue about granting of paid leaves uh, to go on sabbatical. So those were the, and that seemed to always go to men. And so that was one of the issues I got into. Did it, did it work? Like, were you able to figure out more, uh, were you able to achieve equality in that sense? Well, it did work. Um, uh, after a lot of... Uh, uh, raising trouble, um, they started uh, promoting women to um, leadership positions uh, and uh, giving out uh, paid leaves more equitably. Equitably, so yeah, we did. That's fantastic. Did succeed, yeah. So you said you retired. You said ninety five. Right, right. And so, so okay, you're retired. You want to do more activism. What exactly does that mean? What did you want to do? Well, one of the first things I did was get, I belonged to the National Organization for Women from for years back. But I, um, when I was working, I didn't have time to uh, really get involved in uh, doing things for the um, local chapter. So I got involved in the local chapter. I started out as a treasurer, and then I went on, and political action person, and I went on to be uh, president of the local chapter in Rochester for a few years. So that's one of the things I did. And so what sort of issues were you really passionate about as the president of that chapter of now? Oh, there were lots of issues. You know, we took our direction very often from the National um, Organization for Women, and we would go to the National Conference every year, and they would bring up issues that we should uh, become involved with. And you know, we took uh, a great interest in the local people that were being elected to office um, because there's such a divide between the two p- major parties, you know, um, when it comes to women's rights. So Sure. Now, I, I guess in my head, I'm just thinking abortion, abortion, abortion all the way because this is the 70s and it's now uh, the National Organization for Women. Is that kind of the, the biggest issue or am I totally off base on that end? Um, it, it's always been a, a, an issue ever since Roe v. Wade was uh, came into being. Um, but there were many other issues too: equal pay, and uh, um, now it's birth control. Unbelievably, unbelievably, right? Yeah, now. yeah. yeah. You know, uh, was church-state separation then something you were fighting for uh, in that 
capacity? Well, you know, the problem, so many problems with women's equality stem from uh, church-state separation issues. The churches so often want to, you know, impose their um, patriarchal beliefs on women, and uh, it doesn't turn out good. It doesn't turn out very well for, for the women very often. At what point, when you're and so when you're doing all this, you're living in Greece, New York. Right, right. Okay, so you're attending. That means you're attending city council meetings. This means you're watching local politics really carefully. Well, um, the way that came about was <clears throat> I got into um, another uh, little activist group uh, locally called People for Parks. I was interested in in the parks because I used to walk. Um, that was my form of exercise, or yeah. still is, walking. And uh, there was some issues going on. Um, People for Parks had some issues with the Greece Town supervisor uh, that involved the local parks. And so that's what really took me first to, to the town board meetings, and I began to see what was going on there. What was going on there in terms of maybe not even the parks issue then? What did you see when you were there? Well, I saw these Christian pastors uh, begin every town board meeting with a, a, a prayer. Most, most often it was a sectarian prayer, praying to Jesus, and totally inappropriate. So. And how long did this go on till you realized, like, this isn't just, like, weird. This is a real problem. Um, I th- well, it went on for a while, you know, um, like everything, you can't, uh, you know, you, you can't go after every problem in the world. So I just grumbled about it for a <laughs> while. And um, then I started reading in the paper where this town supervisor was doing other things that were inappropriate that had to do with church-state separation. Uh, he was giving money to one of the local churches to put on their 4th of July celebration, for example. And... Um, uh, he was very involved in um, one of the local churches had a uh, candidate's night, and he was very involved <laughs> in that. You know, it was it was a mix of uh, religion and politics in the town of Greece. So, so I started reading about all of these things, and um, that led me to uh, join. I found out there was a local chapter of uh, Americans United for Separation of Church and State in Rochester, so I joined the local chapter. And I started getting their newsletter, um, and I started reading about this case in North Carolina, which was almost identical to what was going on in the town of Greece. And um, Americans United and then the ACLU was litigating this case. And so um, the long and the short of it was I contacted the head of the legal services, uh, legal department at Americans United, and told her about what was going on, and uh, they became very interested in the case. So, And the reason is, if people are unclear, at the time, the law is basically saying, what, what is the law at the time regarding invocations at city council meetings or any government meetings? What was the law beforehand? Well, there was um, As you knew it. Supreme Court decision in 1983, I, I believe it was, called Marsh v. Chambers, where someone in Nebraska... Ernie Chambers, the state senator. Right, right. Um, and he's just been in the news lately, uh, <laughs> lately too. He just uh, helped pass the death penalty repeal right, in Nebraska. Right. Yeah, he's great. And so, um, you know, he challenged 
the prayer business in his state and lost. And so that was a legal precedent. Uh, you know, the Supreme Court decided that these prayers were legal. So, Were there any... Uh, mm-hmm. What type of prayers did they say were legal? Like, could you, as far as I knew it, I think it was like uh, any invocation prayers could be given, but I guess, I don't know, was the rule like you couldn't really have sectarian prayer? What was it uh, that was a problem with what was going on in Greece? Uh, Right. Um, Other, uh, there was more litigation after that Supreme Court case and all of the, at least most of the lower courts came down on the side of um, having non-sectarian prayer. That is a a generic prayer where you you wouldn't pray to Jesus or whoever. You would just pray to some generic God, and that was supposed to make everything all right. (laughs) (laughs) So the rule at that point is saying, okay, you can have these generic invocation prayers. Someone can come and say them. The sectarian ones are not okay, but the, any other invocation prayer is fine. And what's going on in Greece then is they're having sectarian prayer. Was Were there ever any non-Christian prayers? Very infrequently. Well, oh, no, non, no, they were always uh, Christian prayers. They were always Christian they prayers. They were always Christian, yeah. So at what point uh, do you guys say, okay, at what point do you litigate this? You, how, When did that happen where the Americans United said, we're going to file a lawsuit against the city of Greece? And I'm sure they... They sent letters first. I'm sure they tried to take care of it politely. They did. They sent a letter. Well, um, first thing that happened, um, one of the women that I came to know in the local chapter of now, Susan Galloway, uh, was interested in that too. She was Jewish. She is Jewish. And she didn't like this prayer business either. So um, anyway, we got to talking about it. And... uh, she, she and I uh, had a uh, meeting with the town officials. We asked to see the town supervisor. He wouldn't see us. Uh, we ended up talking to the assistant supervisor, the deputy supervisor, and one of the other uh, lower-level officials, and asked them. To, we asked them to do away with the prayers, and we explained why it was uh, inappropriate. And we were told that they couldn't do... Well, we were told a couple of things. If we didn't like the prayers, we could go out in the hallway. (laughs) And if we didn't like... uh, What was the other thing they said? They said... uh, Well, the long and the short of it. Oh, I remember. They they couldn't do away with the prayers because it would offend the local pastors. That was the thing. Well, you can't do that at a city council meeting. No, no, no. (laughs) So... You tried having the conversation with them. That Uh, didn't work. Right. And then uh, the legal staff from Americans United sent a letter to the town supervisor, which the town supervisor uh, ignored. He never replied. Didn't even reply. No, no. And so that was after that litigation was instigated. Okay. So Americans United files a lawsuit. You and Susan Galloway are the plaintiffs in that lawsuit, correct? Right, right. And what, when did that happen, by the way? What year uh, are we talking about? 2008. Here? Okay, so what happens when the city of Greece is hit with this lawsuit? Because now they can't ignore it. Uh, they go and get uh, legal representation, and they got the Alliance Defending Freedom, which is a conservative Christian organization that... Uh, 
uh, goes to court and tries to um, impose their conservative religious beliefs on everyone. It's kind of a clue when they always hire these Christian right groups that you're doing something wrong. And I don't think people ever understand, like, these groups will tell you, we'll we'll, uh, defend you for free, but they don't realize that if you lose... It's the city that's on the hook for all this money. Right, right. Um, okay, so now you're in court. Now you guys are fighting in the, <laughs> the district court. What was the result of that litigation then? The district court, um, there was a judge, Judge Saragusa, who was appointed by Bill Clinton. So we had, um, you know, we, ha- we were uh, hoping that uh, it would go our way, but it did not. He uh, ruled against us. And he says that the sectarian invocation prayers are okay. Right. All right. So at that point, what were you thinking at that point when that it, uh, when that ruling comes down? Oh, it was devastating. It was really bad. It's bad when you um, because there was so much publicity about it, and uh, Susan and I were not used to being in the public eye, and suddenly we were in the public eye, and uh, I. Uh, started getting a little retaliation. Uh, I had uh, damage to my property damage, and uh, people came, whoever came in the middle of the night uh, one time and dug up my mailbox and threw it on top of my car, and uh, Susan and I both got uh, letters uh, threatening us, telling us we should move out of Greece if we didn't like this, and so it was, it was a real nasty time. And this is just at the district court level. Right, right. So what is the plan of action after that? By the way, a lot of people probably after this, and they're getting all this hate stuff, they might just say, all right, I want nothing to do with this anymore. Right. There was the great debate about whether we should appeal the case. And um, we eventually decided, yeah, we should do it. So it was appealed to the Second Circuit Court of Appeals in New York City. So I went to uh, hear it. That was very interesting. Uh, I, when I began this, I didn't really know much about the federal court system. So it's been a real learning experience. Yeah. yeah. So what happens at the second court of uh, the district court of appeals? Well, we had much better. Sorry, second circuit court of appeals. Yeah, we had much better luck there. Um, they ruled unanimously for us. It was a three judge p- a panel. And um, one of the judges was a moderate Republican. The other two were uh, um, uh, more liberal. And uh, they voted for us. Yeah. So we. So that had to upset the town then. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. At this point, the options for people unfamiliar with the legal process, if the town wants to fight back, what they could do is say, okay, so those three judges ruled unanimously against us, but we can ask the entire circuit court, the entire court of appeals, all, how many of them are there? Nine or 11 maybe? Or mm, I don't I'm know. Not even sure. Not even sure. But a whole bunch more. We want you all to relook at the case, and we want you to issue a ruling then. Is that what they did? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, the whole court ruled for us again, they supported <laughs> it. So they lost the second time. Yeah. So at this point, the town is thinking what? The town is still wanting to fight this battle for some reason. They're probably thinking we're going to have to pay probably big bucks. You know, they're, they didn't they didn't want to because they would have to pay the legal fees. You know, to Americans United. Sure. So what year are we talking now that the and bank review with everybody has come down 
against the town of Greece. Yeah, I think it was a couple years later. It took yeah. a while, yeah. So at what point, Ben, uh, does... At this point, I would imagine, you know, you're victorious at this point. Um, and really, this isn't even about you guys anymore, right? All right, right. So how do you get back involved in this? At what point uh, do you find out, oh, they're taking this even further. They're going to ask the Supreme Court to look at this. When did you find that out? Well, we were all hoping that that would not happen. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, the, the way Susan and I both found out, there's a... Um, uh, SCOTUS blog is a yeah, it's a great a, website. A site that tells you everything that's going on in the Supreme Court. <laughs> so, and there started to be hints of it. Uh, one of the local reporters said that the decision, the S Supreme Court would um, come down with the decision on whether or not they would take the case, you know, on such and such a date. And then it didn't happen. So we we were on SCOTUS blog every day waiting for this thing. I yeah. find it hilarious that you're a plaintiff for this case. And yet you're reading the SCOTUS blog just like the rest of us are to find out what's happening with your I case. I know, I know. <laughs> so at some point, what happens when you... At some point, then you see, oh, they have, they have said we are going to take a look at this case, which they don't do for, like, any cases. What is it, like 1% of the cases they are asked to listen to, they actually do? Well, I think they get, like, six or 7,000 requests to, um, you know, to take cases, and they t only take about 80 or 90 I think. Yeah, so it's a really small percentage. It's very unusual. So when you found out that they are going to look at this case, what are you thinking? Um, we didn't feel we didn't feel <laughs> optimistic because we knew what kind of Supreme Court it was, and uh, we knew that there was legal precedent with this Marsh v. Chambers case. You know, so so uh, I think the AU lawyers were banking on one the one justice that sometimes you know swings back and forth and that would Kennedy, be Kennedy right Kennedy so you're hoping okay maybe he'll be on our side on this and we'll get a 5-4 ruling and and still win right, the case right. okay uh, so at this point Supreme Court's Supreme Court's going to hear the case I'm curious what is your involvement at this point what is Susan's involvement at this point do you guys do anything because I think this is one of those things, like, uh, your names are on these cases. It sounds like then you would be heavily involved in everything going on. And were you, or are you very on, much on the periphery at this point? Well, we did talk regularly to the, uh, the, the legal people in Washington, the Americans United people, but no, we were, we were sort of on the sidelines. We were on the sidelines, you know, yeah. the, legal, the lawyers were, you know, doing all the work. That's really interesting. There was a book that came out. What was the sodomy case in Texas uh, years ago? Um, but it involved a gay couple that was supposedly arrested for having sex. And they went to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court said, no, like you did it privately in your own home. Um, you have the right to do that. And what I there was a book that was written about it by this great author, Dale Carpenter. And what you find out is the two guys that were at the center of that case, not only were all the facts wrong about that whole what, whatever they were doing together, but they really had nothing to do with the entire case except at the very beginning stages of it. Mm -hmm. um, and that's just fascinating that it's your names on the case and yet nothing happens. I know. Um, were you there when they actually did the oral arguments? I was. <laughs> okay, so as someone who has been actively involved i mean you're heavily involved in now and this activism stuff what was that like just kind of you've you've talked about the supreme court you've challenged kind of the things they've said 
um, in your own personal life. What is it like actually being there? For me, it was not a very good experience um, because um, at the very last minute, the Americans United lawyers, um, well, all along, uh, it was understood that the head of the legal services, legal department at Americans United would, um, would do the oral argument. And then at the very last minute, like just a few days before, she decided um, she was not going to do it. She decided that um, a, a, a law professor from uh, uh, named Douglas Laycock would do it. Um, I think the, re the reasoning was that, um, this was the reasoning, that Americans United had a liberal reputation and these uh, conservative justices on the Supreme Court, uh, you know, they don't don't like liberal liberals. So uh, Douglas Laycock had a reputation of being uh, working both sides of the street. He, he had, number one, he had uh, argued a lot of cases before the Supreme Court, and he'd argued on both sides of the issues. You know, some of the cases he'd uh, done had, um, you know, been liberal. He'd fought for liberal plaintiffs, and uh, then he'd fought for, uh, you know, uh, conservative ones. So, so he's he, seen as kind of a moderate yeah, yeah. Uh, lawyer right, right. to fight this case. Right. But the bad part was Susan and I had never met this man. And um, anyway, uh, what happened uh, at the Supreme Court for me was um, I think he, he, he was having a bad day in court. So uh, <laughs> one of the um, judges, Judge Kennedy, I think it was, asked him, um, when they were going on about uh, non-sectarian prayer, uh, something about, well, where does this leave the atheists? They'll be left out, right? And unbelievably, <laughs> Douglas Leaklack, even though he had, a, here, he had an atheist client here, uh, said, yeah, he agreed with Kennedy that they would uh, leave out the atheists. So, you know, it was, <laughs> it was really ridiculous. What know? were you, it had Americans united fought, uh, been delivering the oral arguments, what should they have said then? Well, they should have said what um, Ron Lindsay, the president of the Center for Inquiry, later wrote in, immediately afterwards in a blog. Uh, uh, he, he, wrote, he gave the, um, uh, the argument that should have been given, and uh, he, he said something about... He was very... Lindsay was very... Um, angry about what had happened at the oral arguments. And uh, so he began by saying, you know, uh, the First Amendment is supposed to uh, protect minorities, uh, atheists being one. And then he went on to say, uh, we all know, know that this court was not going to overturn, uh, you know, Marsh v. Chambers. Uh, so this is what should have been said. And then he went on to say, uh, if, uh, you know, everyone's, if, if all these religious um, people are are going to be allowed to give prayers, then uh, non-religious people should be able to give an invocation, which is, um, you know, that would be appropriate. And uh, that's what should have been said. And I, uh, I think the uh, AU lawyer would have said that if she, had she had argued she the, the case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how long was the time between the oral argument and the decision coming out? Oh, I can't even remember. It was... Uh, it's usually, I think, a handful of months, but yeah. I don't know if it was a long... Did it feel like a long time for you? 
Yeah, it was very, it was a stressful, yeah. What were you doing during that time between the oral argument and waiting? Oh, uh, well, I talked to Susan Galloway. You know, we would commiserate with each other. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, we were very apprehensive about what was going on because of, we knew all about this. We, we knew a lot about the Supreme Court, so. And the makeup of it and right, stuff like that. Right. Are you getting all this? all the shit that was happening to you at the district court level, was that even amplified? Were the threats getting worse or did they kind of go away? I don't, like, what was the deal happening there? Were you guys getting a lot of pushback still? No, I think people, you know, it had great coverage in the local Rochester papers, you know, and I think people just got tired of reading about it, I don't know, or lost <laughs> interest, but no, uh, later on we didn't get, get what we got at the beginning. On a completely personal note then, is it okay? I have no idea what the answer to this question is. That's why I'm really curious. Um, I forgot why it's Susan's name on the the case, Grease v. Galloway, and not like Grease v. Stevens. Maybe it's just alphabetical order or something like that. But how do you feel about that? That the fact that you're one of the plaintiffs, you are, you have just as much of a right to this case as she does. But it's her name on there. Is there any sort of like jealousy or like, damn it, I was not on a Supreme Court opinion or anything like that? Well, I have mixed opinions about that. Um, <laughs> I mean, um, the fact that I'm the one that brought the uh, case to the attention of Americans United, and uh, I'm the one that got Susan to be my fellow, uh, you know, plaintiff, uh, that, uh, that's gall- sort of galling. But, yeah. uh, you know. And it's out of your control, though. Yeah, it's out of my control. But, uh, you know, uh, in the end, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm semi-pleased with what happened, really. <laughs> Why is that? Because this case has been great for atheists, it turns out. Yeah, so, okay, so let's talk about that. The Supreme Court rules on this case, I think it was a 5-4 ruling, and they say uh, that sectarian invocations, ones that mention Jesus and the Christian God and any religious uh, God, are fine. But what, like, what's the good part about that? Why is that a good thing? Well, the Supreme Court also said that um, if you have these prayers, and you don't have to have these prayers, but if you do have these prayers at local government meetings, you can't forbid, um, you know, people of other uh, beliefs to, um, you can't forbid them to deliver invocations also. And so the atheists and... uh, Secularists jumped on this, and uh, all the major uh, atheist organizations and secular organizations uh, went about training their members to deliver invocations, secular invocations, and uh, the Freedom from Religion Foundation even held a, a contest uh, called Nothing Fails Like Prayer. <laughs> and they gave awards at their conference last in, in Los, Los Angeles uh, last fall to three of these prayer givers, uh, <laughs> one from Michigan and, and, and one from Greece, New York, Dan yeah. Courtney. Dan Courtney <laughs> gave one. And these are for giving the best atheist invocations at city council meetings, right, which right. is funny that Dan Courtney gave an atheist invocation in Greece, New York, when it seems like that's the very thing they were trying to prevent. I know. And they win the Supreme Court case, and hey, guess what happens? An atheist is delivering the invocation. And it, and it caught on all across the country in places that you would never think of. I mean, Huntsville, Alabama, places, 
in, in the deep south, um, Florida, all over Florida. Um, Ala I think Alaska was one, all, all yeah. over. And uh, the Freedom from Religion Foundation is continuing on every year with this, uh, with this <laughs> contest. Uh, and uh, uh, it's great. There is something really funny about saying, hey, uh, if we don't get to deliver an invocation, these legal groups, FFRF, Americans United, can send letters saying, hey, remember the Supreme Court case that we lost? That's why we get to deliver these atheist invocations. And it's not just atheists, by the way, because to be honest with you, the atheist invocations that I've seen are very generic. They are not saying there's no God. They say very uplifting, motivating things. But it means Satanists can also deliver prayers, Wiccans, uh, uh, Hindus, pagans, whatever, they can all deliver invocations that are sectarian. And people have kind of made a note. Uh, it's almost a joke in some ways because it really pushes the buttons of these city councils because their options are let it happen or we just have to shut down the whole process. Right. And and some some local governments are doing that. They're saying, well, if, if we have to do if we have to allow an atheist or a Wiccan, we're not gonna have this business <laughs> at all. And but others are doubling down on it and saying, Well, I just read about a case uh, uh, just in the last day or two. Uh, but the, it was a little slightly different than Greece. It was a case um, where the town council people were delivering the prayers, and they just lost. And now they have to pay, I don't know, $75,000 in legal fees and whatnot. Yeah, because the, the Supreme Court ruling says uh, you can invite someone to deliver the invocation, and you can't say no to, to different groups, but the city council members cannot be the ones delivering. Right, right. Yeah. Um, what has happened, uh, I don't know if losing in the Supreme Court, but secretly winning in a sense, uh, but just going through that whole experience, what did that do to your view of the legal process? Do you think it works? Are you jaded by the whole experience? Well, it, what happened in Greece uh, afterward was kind of, was disappointing. Um, what happened was... Uh, before the uh, Supreme Court ruled, the town of Greece was saying, uh, you know, we let anybody uh, come in and give a prayer. It doesn't matter if they live in Greece or they don't live in Greece or whatnot. Well, almost immediately after the uh, case was decided, they suddenly implemented a written prayer policy, which they never had before. And it was written by the Alliance Defending Freedom. Oh, hey. <laughs> and I think it was designed uh, to uh, continue what they were doing before, to have uh, only Christian pastors. But they couldn't get around it completely because the um, Supreme Court had said you can't, you know, discriminate against people. So what they did was they put in a very rigid policy that... Uh, if you wanted to, um, if you were a non-Christian and you wanted to give a prayer, you had to meet certain uh, rules. You had to, if 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 you were uh, Jewish, for example, and there are no synagogues in the town of Greece, if, but if you lived in Greece, you could and belong to a synagogue outside of the town of Greece, you could invite someone from the synagogue to do that. Uh, so basically, you have to be part of like an organized like building in the city of Greece almost, yeah. which they know means that we're kind of excluding certain groups, right. even though the policy doesn't explicitly say that. So they're trying to be clever. Right. But, but they, what happened there? But they, um, uh, luckily... Um, 
we had, uh, for some, a few years, we've had an atheist community of Rochester. Uh, it's called ACOR uh, in Rochester. And I belong to it since it started. And so I was a member of that. And also, just around this time, the Sunday Assembly was getting off the ground in Rochester. And I immediately, you know... So you were part of a couple like non-religious groups I belong to two atheist groups <laughs> or two uh, secular groups. Yeah. And so um, I knew what the rules were. So I met the deadlines and I, yeah. uh, I said, you know, I belong to these atheist organizations. And then there was... Um, uh, you know, our lawyers and Susan, well, Susan wasn't involved in this so much, but uh, we were wondering, uh, were they going to approve us? Were they going to uh, make uh, us be 501c3, um, you know, organizations, which uh, the uh, ACOR and uh, Sunday Assembly uh, up, to, up to that point was, were not a 501c. But then they, at the, at the, when they finally made their decision, they said, that's okay, you don't need to have that. We'll, we will allow this. <laughs> so this year they have um, 10 Christian pastors giving prayers and two atheists. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, do you still chat, by the way, with Susan at all? Are you guys on good terms now still? I, I do see. Susan's very an, an activist. So, uh-huh. uh, you know, whenever there's a... Uh, a um, and a uh, thing going on. I see her very frequently. She works for, um, she does videography for uh, one of the local activist groups. So she's always there with her video camera. So I run into her quite often. Great. What, uh, what do you have left to accomplish now? Because <laughs> when you've taken a case to that end, uh, I wonder if, I mean, obviously there are always problems locally that you want to fix. And I wonder if you're like, oh, well, these are small potatoes now because <laughs> I've been all the way up there. Mm-hmm. Are there still problems that are, are pressing to you that you really want to fix? Well, um, I'm very interested in this openly secular um, business because I think um, it's very, um, you know, it's really good. More and more people that come out as secularists or atheists, it's going to, um, they, those type of people t- tend to be more progressive in their views. And, uh, you know, we have the conservative religious right, which is putting, you know, uh, the politicians use them uh, to get elected. And then uh, we end up with these terrible laws with these, um, you know, the things that's hap- the things that are happening with women's reproductive rights now are absolutely terrible. And I think if more and more secularists and, and atheists got involved in the political process and voted more and, and took an interest in politics, that that would turn around. I think Ron Lindsay, has, uh, his latest book is, is about that, the importance of uh, you know, secularists um, doing this, becoming involved uh, in politics and voting. And, and David Neosi, has, I think, has written a similar book about, you know, we're beyond the... the um, you know, the Hitchens and the Sam Harris stage where, you know, fighting uh, religious people about who's right. And now we've got to do something, you know, that's, uh, you know, that's productive. And uh, Yeah, it's not enough to just say, okay, we don't believe in God. Like, yeah, we get it. But now what do we do with that belief? Right, right. And where do you want to see this whole movement or however you want to call that? What do you want to see that movement do? Well, as I said, I want to see um, 
this population become more visible? You know, I was very yeah. pleased with this Pew poll that recently came out within the last week or so where uh, now the, the nuns, the, <laughs> which include the atheists and agnostics and the, uh, you know, the people that don't go to church at all, that are indifferent to church, uh, you know, they have gone past that 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 uh, demographic has uh, bigger now than the Catholics, uh, um, you know, which is a really uh, a good sign, I think. Do you think that can become a political force? Oh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time and thank you for sharing all this with us. We really appreciate it. Mm, you're welcome. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the podcast for FriendlyAtheist.com. This episode was taped at Cinnamon Sound Studios in Aurora, Illinois, and the music was written and performed by Brad Chagdis. If you like what you're hearing, please consider making a contribution at Patreon.com slash Hemant. That's He-Man T. We appreciate your support. I'm Hemant Mehta. And I'm Jessica Blumke. We hope you'll join us next time.